Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege of living in a place and being in a place and gathering in a place where we can openly look at your word, discuss your word, and say, wow, look what God showed me through his word. Um, and may that motivate us to, to, to be sanctified, to begin to, to continue this process of becoming more like Jesus because of what Jesus has shown us. So we, we yield you, to you this time, Lord. Uh, we thank you that your word never returns void, uh, that it always accomplishes its purpose. So God, we pray that your purposes would be accomplished in this place this morning. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to John 17. We're going to be either there or the page before, or maybe a page scrolled up, depending on what type of medium you're using for Scripture today. Uh, we are in the last week of a series we're calling Backwards Kingdom, talking about and discovering and, and learning and maybe reinforcing some of the principles that Jesus taught during his ministry here on earth. When Jesus came to this earth, he said, I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven with me. And so we are, basically what has happened is throughout history, we are recorded those instances of, his, of him explaining what his kingdom is all about. And those are called the Gospels, right? And so when we discover these, these teachings that he taught explaining what his kingdom looks like, you start to realize after you study that what Jesus builds his kingdom on and how he chooses to enforce his kingdom and what his kingdom is going to look like, it's completely upside down, backwards, left, right, however you want to describe it, contrary to what most of us think of when we think of a kingdom ruling here on earth. And so we, we looked at during week one where Jesus says, in order to be first in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to place yourself last. And what we discovered is that the kingdom of heaven, in order for Jesus' kingdom to advance, it means we have to place others before us. And that involves everything in our life, how we treat people, how we talk to people, how we interact with people, how we give to people, how we view people, Right? The next week, we talked about how Jesus' kingdom is, is for all of us. And we looked at three specific stories in Luke chapter 14. Right? We looked at the story of, of a sheep that had gotten lost, and the shepherd went out and found it. Then we looked at the story of a coin that was lost, and a woman stopped everything she was doing to find that coin. And then we talked about the story of a lost son who went out on his own in obvious, explicit rebellion. Yet the father was waiting, running, and embracing him. Last week we talked about how Jesus describes his kingdom, not as a governmental uh, hierarchy, but as a banquet, right? And it's a banquet that we, as the servants, are called to be going out into the streets and compelling anyone and everyone we can to come and be a part of this. So today, we kind of wrap it up, and, and, and I want to ask you one question today. Is this, if you could only pray one thing today, if, you were, if your quota of prayers in your prayer life was only one, what would be the one thing that you would pray for today, right? Start to ask yourself that question, right? What's the, if you could only pray for one thing today, Knowing that God would answer it, what would that one thing be? 
And don't pull the, you know, the genie thing and pray, I wish I could pray for more prayers, okay? Don't pull that three wishes junk on me. But the question is, if you could only pray one prayer, what would it be? And you know what's interesting is we actually get to see Jesus in perhaps one of the most stressful, concerning, worrisome, anxiety-causing moments of his life. And we get to see what his one prayer is. And it starts in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 1. It says, After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. But before, I think we can continue on, by the way. But I want to stop real quick. If he says, after saying these things, what are the things that Jesus said? Can I give you a tip on whenever you start to read and study the Scripture? Whenever a chapter or a paragraph or a verse starts off with that, don't just skim over it thinking, oh, I just missed it. Think of it like Netflix, right? Maybe if you're watching an episode on Netflix and it says previously on 24, blah, 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 then you don't have to try to remember what happened. Just step back and read the chapter before that. Read the, script, the passage before that. So let's see what are those things that he said that are leading us up to, to literally, is that a word? Literally, where we're going here in 17, okay? Just flip a page back to John chapter 16. These are the things that Jesus said before he started to pray this prayer. And it's important. It's, it's not an accident that this is laid out and explained in this way. Just like it wasn't an accident that Jesus describes his kingdom as a banquet, it's not an accident that John, the author, said, after saying these things, Jesus prayed these things. Because he wants you to see and understand the importance and the weight of what's happened and what's about to happen. And if you just skim over that, you miss it. And I don't want you to miss anything here today, folks, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, don't miss it, okay? Don't miss it. Then look at the other person and say, boy, you need a tic-tac today. Okay, no, I'm kidding. All right. John chapter 16. Here's what he was talking about. Verses 1 through 17. Jesus says this. I've told you these things. He's speaking to his people now. The people that he's invested three years of his life of his public ministry in. Guys that had more intimate access to him than anybody else in this earth. So it's kind of like he's given you a sneak peek inside what really happens with him and the disciples. He says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's, for best, it's, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the oncoming judgment. Verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now we're at verse 12. It says, 
there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. All the parents know exactly how that feels, right? Whenever your kids just keep asking why, and then you go to the default parent statement of because I said so, right? Because if, you're, if you knew what I was talking about as a nine-year-old, I'd be concerned. But no, what Jesus is saying is, look, just trust me in this. And now I lost my place. Um, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Verse 16, in a little while longer you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me and I'm going to the Father. See, these are the things that John refers to in 17. And you can start to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying and he's teaching in this, right? And since we know the end of this story, what he said in that moment makes sense. But you know what, what happened, try, again, try to place yourself in that moment. And it doesn't make sense. And you, sometimes we just we, we think of the disciples as these just kind of bumbling dummies, right? But they're just like you and me, the people that are in the moment. Jesus would speak these things, and it would be confusing because we don't know the end of the story if we're right then. But what John is referring to at the beginning of 17 is this teaching where Jesus is saying, hey, guys, just get ready because it's not going to get easier. It's not about to get easier for you. It's about to get a little bit harder. In fact, we go on and we, skip, we keep skipping down at, through John 16, right? At the very end, he says in verse 33, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And you remember what he starts to talk to and allude to. He talks about the advocate. We know that is the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, guys, there's about to be a moment in history where it's going to be very, very, very hard to follow me because people are going to try to kill you thinking they're doing God a favor. But know that I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit can come and reside inside of you. And you're going to have troubles. You're going to have problems. You're going to have many difficulties. But don't worry. Because I've overcome the world. That's what we see alluded to in verse 1 of 17. Now we can continue on. Okay. And again, if you're in a Bible reading plan that today was John chapter 17 was your, your portion of the day, congratulations. We're going to make it easy for you. We're covering all of John 17 today. Okay. You're welcome. That's my gift to you says this in verse 2, For you have given him... Let's just start at verse 1 again. It says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour's come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For when you have given him authority over everyone, he gives eternal life to each of you, to each one you have given him. 
And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. Verse 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one handed for, headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my glory and my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Here's what I want you to not miss. You ready? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22, I've given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Underline or highlight that verse in your scripture today. We'll come back to it later. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. I've revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So that's Jesus's prayer that's captured here in John chapter 17. And, and uh, I think in and of itself, it's a powerful, powerful prayer. Because Jesus is praying for you. 
thousands and thousands of years before your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather was even born. Jesus was interceding for you. He was praying for us. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. But, take even a step back further and look at it in the timeline, the story arc of Jesus' life and his ministry, and it becomes even more powerful. If you know the story, if you know what happens in 18, 19, 20, so on, so on, you know that as soon as Jesus is finished with this prayer, the events are set into motion that we know is Holy Week. Jesus was betrayed by his disciple Judas. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was put on a mock trial. He was humiliated. He was forced to carry his own instrument of death. And ultimately murdered in the most painful way that humanity has ever invented to kill someone. You know that crucifixion is not a death just because you're hanging on a cross. It's not because the nails are driven through your wrists and through your, through your ankles, right? That's not what kills you on a cross. It's a slow death because what happens is your body weight literally collapses on your lungs and you suffocate. It's one of the, psych, physiologically, it's one of the most painful ways that humanity has ever devised a way to kill somebody. And Jesus is God. He knows all of these things are about to happen. And so in that moment, in John 17, after he kind of gave his last, like, guys, get ready, things are about to happen, and things are starting to, get, to kind of come under, circumstances are starting, get ready for all of what's about to happen. He could have prayed a million different things. Right? He could have prayed, God, let justice fall on these betrayers. And that would have been a good thing to pray. He could have prayed, God, let's not let this hurt so much. Can the Holy Spirit be my Advil in this moment? That's not what he prayed for either. Right? He could have prayed, God, I've done all I can do. I'm throwing my hands up. They're all yours. I'm walking away. But he didn't, did he? In that moment, He prayed for us. And not only did He pray for you to be His ambassador, to take His word out into the world, but what does He pray for? He prays for unity. He prays for His church, for His people to be one, to be united, to be together, to love one another so much and and, and to walk with each other and bear each other's burdens so well that because of how we interact with each other in here, the world takes notice out there and says, I want what they've got. I don't really understand all of the stuff that they teach about over there, but boy, those people love each other well. they take care of each other and they stand with one another and they just get along isn't it crazy to think we live in a world now especially now where just our ability to get along speaks volumes to the world around us that's what jesus is saying ultimately it just starts with learning how to get along 
So Jesus' prayer for his kingdom is not God make them into super strong soldiers, influential leaders, people who can take this thing to the highest of highs. No, he just says, you know what, for the people that have loved me and have, have, have surrendered to me, I just pray that they're just as tight and just as united as God you and I are. And here's the amazing thing. Maybe this has never, like, um, maybe it's never clicked with you. Maybe you've never understood this. You know, you have the opportunity today to be the answer for Jesus' prayer. Right? A lot of times we think that what Jesus prayed, supernatural things occur and then they just happen. You have the opportunity. I have the opportunity. God has given all of us who claim the name of Jesus the opportunity to be the answer to this prayer in John chapter 17, just by the way we treat each other, pray for one another, live life together with people. And I don't mean some hippy-dippy, hip, like commune type of lifestyle where we're all farming and sharing and things like that. What I just simply mean is by greeting each other and saying, hey, how was that interview you had this week? How was that? I know that you were really stressed out about that, and I was praying for you Tuesday at nine because I knew that's when you said your interview was. How'd it go? Or I know your uncle had surgery this week. Tell me how, how are you doing? How's he doing? It's by how we get along, folks. You get the opportunity to be the answer to Jesus' prayer by how you treat other people in here and how we get to invite other people to be a part of what is happening in here. And so in each of these stories, each of these instances that we've looked at throughout the last four or so weeks, there's been some kind of commonalities, there's been some themes that, that have, have, have swirled through this. And, and, and number one, the thing, has it ever occurred to you, even just based on this, this passage, that you and I and all of us have the ability to be the answer to Jesus' prayers? He's not asked you to do an impossible thing. He's not asked you to do something you're incapable of doing. He's not that type of God. He's asked you to love each other in the same way that he loves us. So has it ever occurred to you that you have the ability to be the answer to Jesus' prayer? Second thing, the common theme woven through all of these stories we looked at over the past month, has it ever occurred to you that Jesus chose people to be his agents of change? Jesus chose you. Jesus chose me. Jesus chose us to be his agents of change and transformation in this world. Right? Let's just take, let's go back just a couple weeks. We talked about the story of the lost sheep. We talked about the story of the lost coin. We talked about the story of the lost son, right? And we talked about how all of us at some point have stopped paying attention to what God has wanted from us and wandered off on our own, not really paying attention. And that's called the sin of omission, which is what that, sin, which is what that sheep did. But Jesus knows us well enough to bring us back into that flock. 
And then sometimes life has a way of just knocking us off the table like that coin. But we're of such value that Jesus will stop everything, all the duties and everything involved with running a household to find you. Like the woman. And then thirdly, all of us have done what we know we're not supposed to do. That's called the sin of commission. Like the lost son or the prodigal son in the last part of that story. But here's the thing. All of us have been a sheep, a coin, or a son. But Jesus gives you the opportunity to be the shepherd, the woman, and the father. He's giving you the opportunity. So has it ever occurred to you that Jesus has chosen you to be his agent of transformation in this world? That you get to be a part of answering his prayer and that you also get to be an agent of transformation in this world. Because you're taking that message of love and unity to people who are looking for someone that, that they can just get along with. And then the third thing. Has it ever occurred to you that Christianity is not a spectator sport? Has it ever occurred to you that God's kingdom will not be built by spare time and spare change? Has it ever occurred to you that following Jesus does not mean sitting on the sidelines and watching things happen? It means that all of us have a part to play in this, folks. You have a part to play in advancing Jesus' kingdom one person at a time. Jesus gives you and I the opportunity to be his agent of transformation. And if that's going to happen, if his kingdom is going to spread and advance like we believe it can and it will, all of us have to come to the table and say, here's the part I have to play. But in every single story we looked at, Scripture says that Jesus is choosing you to be his agent of change, which means you've got, to bring, you've got to get into the game. Nobody can play a game sitting on the sidelines. You've got to get in. We all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. And can I just tell you a secret? A lot of times, these opportunities that Jesus gives us to advance his kingdom, to, to bring transformation and change to people's lives, to bring hope into a hopeless person's world, disguises itself. It disguises itself as inconvenience. Oftentimes, Jesus' opportunities that he gives you to be an agent of advancing his kingdom in this world disguises itself as inconvenience. I think back of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right, in the book of Acts. You may know this story. If not, I'll tell it to you. There's a guy that Jesus changed his life. His name was Philip, and he's walking down the road one day, and he sees this Ethiopian royal person riding on a, on a chariot, reading aloud the book of the Lord. Now, Philip had places to go. He had things to see. He probably had errands that he had to run and get things done with. 
But he decided to walk closer to this guy's chariot. And he starts to hear this guy reciting the book of Isaiah. And he starts to ask the guy. He takes the step. He's the one who takes the chance. He says, hey, you know what any of that means? And the guy says, no, how am I supposed to know what it means unless somebody explains it to me? Come on, hop aboard and explain it to me. Now, chances are Philip's to-do list did not include hitch a ride in probably the not same direction that I need to go on a royal chariot. And it's not like in that moment, Philip could say, hey, can you turn right up here? I need to go get some milk. You kind of go wherever royalty is on their way to, yeah? So it was probably out of the way for Philip to do this. But he, he climbs aboard and he starts to explain the truth of what Jesus brought to this earth. And it changed this man's life. And the story later on goes to say that the man says, whoa, 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 you mean that now that I've accepted the grace of Jesus, I can be baptized and let the world know about it? There's some water right there. Why don't we do that? Again, probably not on his daily schedule. When Philip was making out his his list of things he had to do, and by the time he had to do it, he probably didn't factor in another 20 minutes to baptize somebody. These opportunities to bring and usher in God's kingdom into people's lives very often disguise themselves as inconveniences or obstacles, right? Very often, they're not on your things to do list. But if you can recognize what most of us see as obstacles, if you can recognize that that obstacle maybe is God bringing an opportunity, it starts to change how you see things. It starts to change how you see that Sunday night dinner with your family that you have to go to every single week and talk about the same thing every week and eat at your grandfather's same dim sum restaurant and eat the same food every week. It could be viewed as an inconvenience when you just would rather chill out at home and get ready for another work week. Or you could see it as a God-ordained opportunity to bring light and life and salt into somebody's life. Because if you remember, Jesus wants you to be his answer of prayer. And he wants you to be his agent of transformation. And so he's giving you not obstacles, but opportunities throughout your everyday life to make disciples. The question is, will you take advantage of it? The question is, will we see them as inconveniences or will we see them as God-ordained opportunities? And that doesn't just apply outside of here either, does it? It could mean on a Sunday you show up and all you just really want to do is grab your cup of coffee that our hospitality team sets up, go sit in the corner, drink your coffee, sing a couple songs, check out, pretend to laugh at some of my really awful jokes, and then leave. But then during worship, you see somebody over in the corner of your eye in our family, our spiritual family. You can tell something's bothering them. Some, they're, they're, like, they're, you can see like a weight on them. 
All of a sudden, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit is that <clears throat> elbow nudge, right? And you feel the Lord saying, hey, go over and talk to them. And you're like, no, I just want to, it's been a long week, God. Don't you know what I've been through? Yes, God knows that you've been through. But what if he wants to use you to be an encouragement in that person's life? What if that person, more than anything that week, just needed to know there's some place in this world that people love me and will pray for me? One of the best bits of, of pastoral advice I was ever given didn't come in seminary. It came from a former lawyer named Jim Hall, who was my pastor in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He said, never pass up an opportunity to pray for someone. And I wish that they had taught me that in seminary. Because seminary is all about learning how to be a shepherd, right? It's learning how to pastor people. It's learning how to, to bring people into a saving knowledge of Jesus and lead them into who God wants them to be. But I had to hear that advice. I had to hear that bit of truth, that bit of theology from a former lawyer. And it changed my life. And I think that that's not just a bit of advice, a bit of theology for just people who have surrendered to this crazy world called pastoral leadership. It's a bit of advice, it's a bit of theology for everybody who surrendered to this grace that Jesus offers us. Because ministry and ministering to people is not an exclusive club. We want to be a church where all of us feel a burden to minister to one another. That ministry just doesn't come from the stage to the row. It comes from neighbor to neighbor, husband to wife, friend to friend. Because we know and can trust the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to speak truth into one another. So being that agent of transformation doesn't just occur when you leave these doors. It just continues to happen as you come into this room. Right? So what Jesus' backwards kingdom is, his backwards kingdom is a kingdom that places other people before us. And it is a kingdom of celebration. Because when you see God start to build up to equip and empower people's lives so they can go out and change their world, you know that you've had the honor and the privilege of walking that road with them for a while. And you're going to celebrate with them the moment that that happens. It's just like as a parent, whenever, you see, whenever your child learns how to ride that bike and you take the training wheels off and they go and they just start to pedal, you, feel, like, you can't help but scream and shout and say, yes! I tell the story all the time. The first time I ever hit my, home, hit my first out-of-the-park home run whenever I was playing baseball as a kid, um, I, hit the, I hit the ball. I was a lefty, so I hit the ball to right center field. And as I was running, I was jumping. And my dad would always set up. He wouldn't sit in the bleachers because I think he got too anxious. So he would stand and lean on the fence beside first base. And so whenever I was rounding first, I looked. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw some big white guy just making a fool of himself. And I realized that was my dad, and he was jumping as high is that fence. And I don't know how he did it because if you look at us Duttons, we're not vertically 
blessed in the jumping category. I know that's hard to believe when you take on a look at this physique. But my dad was cheering louder and prouder and jumping higher than I'd ever seen him before. It is nothing that he did. That's the celebration that the kingdom of God entails. You can jump and you can hoot and you can holler and you can high-five people because they found freedom. The freedom that Jesus and Jesus alone can offer. And then you think about last week, what his kingdom entails. It's described like a banquet. It's a banquet where everyone is invited from the lowest of the low to the, the least influential person in society sitting right next to the government leader. God's kingdom is a kingdom where all of us have a place at the table. And if you remember the story that Jesus told It was the servant's job to go out and fill the table, right? And so our job, how we do that practically and advance Jesus' kingdom, if you recall from last week, is we invite people to, I invite more people to my table, and we invite more people to our table as a church. Who'd you invite this week? Who did you go and compel to come and be a part of what God is doing here? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, okay? My question is, if that's our job, if, our jo- if Jesus has given us the charge of being his agents of transformation, well, who did, we invite, who did you invite to your table this week? And who did you invite to our table this week? And who are those people that we spent time reflecting on and praying for? Where are they? Have you continued to pray for that person this week? Have you continued to pursue that person? Have you continued to seek out and say, hey, there's this thing that I'm a part of, and you've got to come check it out because God is doing something amazing, and I want you to check in and see it with me. And you don't give up. And you don't quit. I tell the story all the time about how my, my first encounter with Christianity was a youth group video scavenger hunt that my friend John invited me to. Strangely enough, he it was, it was a part of my baseball team. You know how many times John had to invite me to church before I finally said, you know what, fine. If it'll make you stop, I'll go. I'm so glad that he never stopped asking. I'll be forever grateful for that, that he didn't give up. Someday, that person will be forever grateful that you didn't give up. Don't give up. If they say no 99 times, ask them 100 times. Don't give up. Let's pray.
Lord, we pray for um, we pray for the people that you are showing to us right now that you're bringing into our 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 mind's eye of who we need to pray for, who we need to invest in, who we need to invite into our lives some more, into this church, uh, to be a part of what you're doing in our life, be a part of what you're doing in our church. So that they can experience the joy and the hope that we've found whenever we were adopted into this backwards kingdom. God, we pray, we pray for opportunities this week to be your agents of transformation in their lives or in other people's lives or even just random strangers' lives, that we would not allow the enemy to disguise those opportunities as obstacles to our, our busy, everyday life that we have to get things done, uh, that they wouldn't be inconveniences the God, whenever that student sticks back after class and, you just, and we just really want to go home and, and get dinner started, we'll, we'll know that there's a reason why they're there. And we can see that as an opportunity that you've placed us in a position in someone's life to be a person of love. Or whatever the circumstances, God, whatever... Whatever the occurrence, whatever the, the, the reasoning for when things pop up and when things don't go the way we think they should go, do let us, let, may your Holy Spirit nudge us May your Holy Spirit nudge us and say, "This is your opportunity." And God, I pray that as a church we would be the answer to your prayers. God, I pray that there is a spirit of unity that is thick over this church. That we would lock arms together and say, we know that God's called us together. We know that God's called us to be one and, and play a part in building up, equipping, and empowering people who change the world. That we all have a part to play in that. None of us have, a, have, a, have a, a free pass to sit on the side and watch. But it also means that all of us have a different part to play in advancing your kingdom. I pray that you'd show us what that part is and that we would, we would play that part as well as we could. And it may just be one note in a symphony, but let us play that one note as well as we can. God, I pray that you would start to use your church to minister to your church to build into that unity. That God, I pray that there's a spirit of freedom here that we can come and we can say, I'm going to pray for you. And I, I think that God wants me to tell you this because I just felt the Lord saying and impressing on me to tell you this. And I thank you for a, a church where, where there is that freedom here. I thank you for a worship team that recognizes that for when Sam gives you the space that you need to minister to people. And oftentimes it's not planned, it's not scripted, it's not mapped out. But those are the moments whenever you have the freedom to do what you want. And so God, I pray that that, that, that would 
become the norm, that you would have the freedom to do what you want in this church, that I would never stand in the way of what you desire to do in the lives of the people here. Because I think if you've taught me one thing throughout just preparing for these weeks of talking about your kingdom, you've allowed me to see so many interactions between so many religious leaders who thought they were getting it right, but ultimately were getting in your way. That we're staring God himself in the face and saying, no, 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 buddy, you got it wrong. I don't want to get it wrong, God. We don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to miss you. So God, I pray as we continue on in this next season as a church, as we continue on and in, in, in discovering how you're going to use this church to impact and change seven million people's lives. That we would have the, the, the courage to, to step outside of what we think it would look like and what is comfortable to us and embrace what you have in plan for us. So God, we pray a blessing over this next season as a church. And may we be faithful in advancing your backwards kingdom in our families, in our coworkers, in our friends, in our classes, with our professors, with our classmates, with our students, with the organizations that, that you've called us to lead or be a part of, or just with our neighbors. Help us to be faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.